Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They've taken the Lord from the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who was it that you were looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, You took him away, sir. Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni. This means teacher. Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my Father and their Father my God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. Christ is risen. To you guys watching online, joining our, our congregation here this morning. If you were here on Friday, you joined me and a group of people as we just dwelt on the death of Christ on the cross. And if you've walked the path of loss, many of you have, I know. Uh, you know the, the, just the deep travail of the soul that you go through when you lose someone you love. And if you can imagine living your life with Jesus for three years 
focusing everything, in fact, leaving everything behind to follow him, only to watch it all end right there. I mean, what a tragedy. What a horrible, horrible tragedy. Christ's death on the cross. Despite the fact that multiple times he had clearly indicated to them this is what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem, None of them seem to understand it. And so you understand he's, he's dead, he's buried. The, the women, it tells us in the end of Luke chapter 23, see him laid in the tomb. The tomb is sealed, it's closed, that large rock, multiple men are put it in place, it's sealed with the Roman seal. It's over, it's done. The next day is the Sabbath. Everyone sits in this low, if you've gone through grief, you know it, it's this, it's this depression. Everything becomes fuzzy. You, you almost want to pinch yourself or, or wake up and hope it didn't happen, but it did. And they wait and they look and they wonder, what are we supposed to do now? With the death of Christ on the cross was the death of a dream. It was the loss of, of hope for them. I mean, this, I mean, he was going to be the king, and then that's how it ended. And they're like, now, now what, what's going to happen to us? Who knows what's going to happen to us? And so they're just stuck in this deep, deep, dark fog. That's what I think Saturday is like. We're not given a lot of indication, but it's the Sabbath. It's the day of no work. But you can just imagine. You, you've built yourself up for this moment only to watch it all come crashing down in a, in a day. And, and you're wondering, what happens now? I remember doing a funeral for an older man in his 70s and uh, did the funeral. Then we took the body out of the church and we went to the cemetery. Um, the funeral did not have an open casket. She had opted for the kind of the low-budget funeral home package, which didn't include embalming and preparation of the body. And so the, the body was there. It was just there. And we took him out to the, to the graveside. We put him on the uh, on the on the rollers there that would lower him into the grave, and I was preparing to do the, the graveside liturgy, as I normally do, and the widow comes to me, and she says, Pastor Mike, can I see him? Never have I had a woman, <laughs> anyone, ask me that at the graveside. I mean, usually there, you know, there is a viewing beforehand where you can come and say your goodbyes and do those things that you need to do at that moment, but never at the graveside. Never, never, never have I ever had that. And so I, I go to the funeral director. I'm like, like she'd like to see the body. I mean, is that possible? And he's looking at me like, oh, not really. We don't really, you know. But I'm like, you know, she wants to. He's like, wow, you know, we didn't, like, we didn't do anything. Like, you know, understand it. Like, you know. And so, so okay, you know. So just me and the widow and the funeral director. He opens up the lid. And in this particular situation, the body's in this, like, bag, like a garment bag of sorts. And he unzips the garment bag and opens it up. And, of course, there is um, her husband in that. You know, his body has begun the process of, of what bodies do when, when they're dead. And, and um, yeah, I'll never forget the, just the color and the, everything else of, of that moment. It was, but she needed that closure. I mean, this box had come to the church. We looked at the box the whole service, but she just needed to know he was there. 
So on Sunday morning, the women get up and said, we're going to go see the body. Because sometimes there's some, there is something about it. You know, in a funeral, you know, a viewing is an important part of the grief process. You come, you identify, you say goodbye, you have your, your memories. And I mean, I think that's a healthy part of grieving. And so, so these women are like, you know what, we, the, the, the process is that after a certain point, you come back, you reanoint the body. Let, let's go do what we can do. Like sometimes that's what happens in grief. You just got, I got to do something. And so in Luke chapter 24, it says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb taking the aromatic spices they had prepared. They know exactly what they saw on Friday. Joseph of Arimathea and his Nicodemus and the helpers had wrapped the body quickly, hastily. The Sabbath was approaching. And they had placed him in there, and then they closed the tomb up. They, they knew. Everyone could attend. There was multiple witnesses. Yes, he was dead. Clearly, he, he was wrapped up, and, and he was placed. But it was a, it was a hasty thing. Let's, let's give him the proper you know, treatment that is worthy of, 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 of someone whom you love. And as they get in verse 2, it says, They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. If you read the other gospel writers, you'll see as they're going there, they're like, okay, who's going to roll the stone away? I mean, because clearly a couple of women aren't capable of doing such a, a, you know, mammoth task. But they get there in Luke, and he just, he just, you know, kind of gets past it. He's like, look, they get there, and they're, they're, the stone's not there, which is surprising. But verse 3, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Sorry, we're a little ahead there. Verse 3, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So there they go in. There's no body. Can you imagine if I would open that casket and you zipped open the bag and there's nothing in there? You'd be like, "Woo, what's going on here?" You know, but but here they go. They're fully expecting the body. They're going in there. They've got all their spices and 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 other treatments that they would use for the body, and there is no body there. Verse four it says they were perplexed about this. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. The women were terribly frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? We'll just stay there. So there they are. So, so, you know, they're, they're shocked, and all of a sudden these two men show up. They're perplexed, and then, and then, then they're frightened. And, and, and it's, just, it's just, what is going on here? This is, this is not what we were expecting. We were coming to the tomb. Somehow we were, someone was going to move that rock for us. We were going to go in, treat the body, and then leave and continue our grieving process. We come, there's no body. How can we grieve without a body? And then suddenly there's angels, and they're frightened. So this perplexion, you know, this, like, what's going on to, to fear? And then there's this question, which we sang about. Why do you look for the living among the dead? If you are a follower of Christ, I just want you to stop there for a moment and just think about that, okay? There is a uniqueness to Christianity and to the, to the faith which we call Christianity. Not the, the religious organization, but the personal faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection by which a person becomes a part of the family of God. That's what I mean when I say Christianity. It is built upon this premise of a risen Savior. So when your friend says to you, well, all religions are the same, 
They're all equal. Every ideology kind of ultimately brings us all to heaven together in one happy family. And then you get to the Bible and it doesn't present that as, as a fact. What it says is there is something absolutely unique and incomparable about Christianity and about Jesus Christ. You can see the tomb of religious and cult leaders. The tomb of ideological leaders, Lenin's tomb, Mark's tomb, you know, Baha, Bahula's tomb, you know, and, and everyone else in between, you know, Muhammad's tomb. They're all out there. You, 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 can, you can venerate these, these respected religious leaders. Why? Because they all have tombs that you can identify with, with their religion. I lived in B.C. and near the border, and there's a group of Russian cultic group called the Dukamors, and they had Peter Verigan's tomb. Peter Verigan was like their Messiah. He had led them out of, out of Russia back in, you know, to this promised land in the Kootenays, which is beautiful. I'm not sure it's the promised land, but, but Peter Verigan was their leader, their venerated leader, and they had this tomb, and they would go, and they would venerate and worship their, their leader up at the tomb there, which was up on a hill above the, the, above the river there, and, and then that was their, their marker for their religion. But we don't really have a tomb, and we, there's this place in Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb, but, but like, he's not there. The angels are like, he, you're not going to find Jesus in the tomb. I mean, he's, he's alive. He's, he's stating to them the fact here that what you saw on Friday is not what you're seeing on Sunday. It's different. Look what it says in verse 6. He is not here, but has been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Like, this is not a surprise, women, the angels are saying. Like, he told you this, Luke 9.22. You'll see it there. Like, he's like, look, this is what's going to happen, people. And he says it to them, and it's like, goes in one ear and out the other. Some of you have that experience with the people you're married to or children, teenagers in your household, whatever, you know, people in, under your employ, you say something to them and it's like, whew, you know, it's, like a, it's like a wind tunnel, whew, you know. Jesus kept saying this. They don't get it, but he's like, this is not a surprise. The very fact that he could predict his death in precise manner with, with that composite detail would indicate to you that this is no ordinary death, no ordinary resurrection. He must be delivered, it says. And the Greek is just one little word, which could be translated, it is necessary. We call that the, the divine D. You know, it's, it's like this, like God has a plan and, and, it, and it must be accomplished as such. When you see that marker in the Greek, you know that, that this, is, this is God's plan and it will happen. And this is in verse 8, see that? Then the woman remembered his word. You see, we, we need to realize this is not just some, you know, crazy thing that, that just, you know, cycled out of control and the death and then resurrection. It was just sort of some mishmash of, of world events. This was the, the precise plan of God. Jesus foretold it. And as they remembered his words, things began to fall into place for them. We cannot explain all the nuances of resurrection. Like, you know, there's lots of questions. Well, what was his body like? How, how did it work? How could he vaporize and walk through doors? And I mean, we don't know. There's a lot of mystery to the resurrection, but it was a physical body. He's eating with them. They're touching him. You know, he's talking to them. They're, they're obviously recognizing him. But he 
prophesied that this would happen. It says in verse 9, And when they returned from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Um, in verse 9. I mean, they're, they're, look, look, guys, this is what happened. Uh, we got to the tomb, angels appeared, and then after the angels, you know, appeared, uh, they told us, like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And he's arisen, and, you know, and, uh, um, you know, and, and boy, you know, we can't believe it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It says in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You know, after the resurrection, people didn't want to believe this happened. And so they're like, no, this is just a made-up story. It's just a fabrication of the disciples of Jesus. They're just trying to keep this mythology alive of the kingdom and blah, blah, blah. But, but Luke is careful to articulate, no, no, real people saw this. Here's their names. I'll tell you, as a leader, when someone says people are talking, or there's a, there's a lot of people concerned, I'm like, I don't care. If they say Bob and Bill and Fred are concerned then I'm okay. I'm going to go talk to Bob and Bill and Fred and find out what their concerns are. I mean, if you give me your name behind your concern, I'm good. But if you got something anonymous, you just want to kind of throw it out there as, oh, you know, a bunch of people, it doesn't mean anything. And even in the first century, like, ah, oh, if, if you don't put names behind it, but Luke's like, look at the people. Go, you can go talk to them. Talk to their relatives even, and ask them, did this happen? And they'll be like, absolutely. Those women were totally freaked out and changed because of the resurrection of Jesus But in verse 11, it says, these words seem like pure nonsense to them. They did not believe them. The disciples, the apostles, 11, are sitting there, and they're like, no. The word literally means um, like a delirious insanity. It's like these women went to the tomb and found mushrooms and ate them and came back and said, guess what we saw? <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it's like. You know, like, like, you know, and there's like, come on. You know, emotion. Maybe the, the spices they took had some, you know, some type of fumes coming out of them. And by the time they got to the tomb, it was like, oh, what is that? You know, and I mean, that's, I mean, this is literally what they're like, no, nah, it can't be. This is just a bunch of, you know, you know, women caught up in their emotion and perhaps, yeah, a little delirium there. That's literally the word that, that Luke uses. As a medical doctor, he would understand this is the kind of, you know, stuff that can make you feel a little loopy, right? So he's, he's like, this is what they thought. They thought, oh, these, these girls have really, you know, like, like, and sometimes, sometimes grief gets that intense that, that you, you can have, you know, times where you're like, oh, I think I saw the person. Well, you didn't really, but it's just like, you know, just the way the subconscious works and, the, you know, the disciples or the apostles here are like, well, that's probably what happened. They just... They just got caught up in the moment, and there must be some other explanation for this. Because that's why, verse 12, Peter gets up and goes to the tomb. It says he ran. You saw that in, in the John account here before the sermon started. And, and he bent down and saw only the strips of linen cloth, and then he went home wondering what happened. He sees the cloth. Now, here's the key. Like someone's like, someone stole the body which is, was, was a common like, story. In fact, the priest had put the guards up to say that, right? The, the disciples stole the body. Okay, if that was true, can you imagine going to steal a body, right? This body's pretty fresh. You would grab that thing, wrapped up, and carry it out, right? You would not take the time 
to unwrap that body as it's decomposing and take off the mask and carry a naked, rotting corpse with you, you know, running through Jerusalem. Here we go, let's steal him, you know. Like, why would you do that? Like, you got to think about this, right? I mean, these stories are just, you know, like, you got to think about the facts about it. I mean, if you're going to steal a body, you grab the body, right? I mean, there were grave robbers, and there still are today, but, you know, especially, you know, you go to the Egypt, and you see, you know, people would often bury artifacts with people that died, and people would break into those tombs and steal the crosses and the jewelry and whatever else was laid out. But clearly, this was not a rich man's burial. It was a quick, hastily shove them in the tomb before the Sabbath, and, and then, so there was no like, rings, gold chains hanging around Jesus. I mean, it's just him and his body and the wrappings, and they get there, and there's the wrappings. Peter says, went home wondering what had happened. What happened? What happened? And some people spend their whole life just wondering what happened. What happened? They love the story of Jesus. They watch it on TV, you know, and in any decade or era, a movie has been put out about Jesus. So you can watch like the 1977 Jesus of Nazareth, and you can watch Son of God, and you can watch The Passion, you can watch, you know, crazy musicals that sort of modernize. I mean, there's all sorts of, I mean, Life Magazine, Newsweek, you know, Time, you know, they'll put out, you know, articles about Jesus. I mean, people love talking about Jesus, and they wonder, they wonder, and they wonder, but they don't actually do anything with that. And Luke, and John, the gospel writers, the first century eyewitnesses are telling you it's just not something you just think about. You need to move towards Jesus. Here in New Life, we have this phrase, moving up and out in New Life in Jesus Christ, right? God wants to do something in your life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants to bring a transformation to you. And so I ask you this morning, did, did you feel like there was anything new in your life? Anything of resurrection caliber that you could point to in your life as you got up this morning? You know, I, I had a less than resurrection moment last night when I spilled tea on my lap, and it was like, oh, that was, that was definitely not a, a risen Christ moment. That was a, a mic moment, and I had to, you know, re, you know re, reverse a bit and kind of confess and, you know, get back on track, and, that, and that's what happens. But you see, what happens is, in order to get to resurrection, guess what? It happens at a cross. Jesus died and rose again so that we can die and rise again spiritually. We can lay, put our, our old life on the cross and accept the life of Jesus Christ and let him live in and through us. Some Christians live like they're still stuck in a hole in the ground. They don't have resurrection power. It's like a perpetual memorial service in their heart, in their mind their life. It's always gray and black and flowers in the casket. And Jesus is like, I came to give you more than that. I came to give you my life. And so the very fact that I am walking in newness of life, I've made a path for you to walk in newness of life. Not your old life, but in the life that I've laid out for you to live. With my power. And in the New Testament talks about it all over the place, right? How, you know, we de we're dead to sins, but we're alive to Christ. 
And so the new believers, followers of Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament, what happens is when they come to faith in the risen Christ, they go down to the water and they're like, my old life is dead, boom, buried under the water. And my life is now new in Jesus Christ. That's the picture of baptism. If you haven't been baptized, but you believe in Jesus Christ, it's time to, to make it public. But that is just a, a symbolic act of, of an inward spiritual reality that's, that we are entitled to experience every day. But some days we wake up with burial spices and we go back to the tomb and we linger at the tomb. We're just kind of stuck there. Not going anywhere, nothing happening. And Jesus is like, Quit looking for me among the dead. I am alive. Walk with me in newness of life. Where there's no fear. Where there's confident hope. Where there's strength in tribulation. Where sin becomes less and less dominant in your life as Christ takes over. And, and guides and, and has, has access to your control centers and to every part of your life. It's a process. But he invites us in the resurrection to walk in newness of life. We serve the living Savior, the only ones. That is what makes Christianity pretty exclusive. And you, sometimes when I talk to people, you know, that are like, oh, wow, we're all one big happy family. And I'm like, well, well you know, I said, you like Jesus? Yeah, I like Jesus. I'm like, well, Jesus makes some very exclusive claims. Like he says, I am the way. Like basically he's like, there's only one way. He doesn't say, I'm one way and there's all sorts of other ways and if you find a way, just get on it. It'll eventually lead to, to home. He doesn't say, he says, I am the way. If you like Jesus, then you gotta accept his words and his words are incredibly narrow but broad because anyone who accepts Jesus finds forgiveness and welcome into God's eternal family and access to the reality of resurrection life. Paul would say, you know, I want to know him. The power of his resurrection. Fortunately, many Christians, they come and they discover the forgiveness on the cross. But they don't discover the newness of life. They're in the family, but God's like, I got more for you. And they just kind of slinger at the tomb. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, but God's like, but there's a risen Savior out there. You can follow him, and he leads you into streams of life, rivers of life. I'm okay right here. I'll just hang out at the tomb here. I'll just lay low here. I'll take the second-rate experience of Christ when the, the, the first-rate stands right in front of me, the risen Savior. The words he gives to his disciples after his resurrection are, are profound. He, he would say to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He reinstates Peter and, you know, and, 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 just, and, and gives him a commission and, and he tells him, go and make disciples of all nations. He's like, look, you're not supposed to just be a reservoir. You're supposed to be a, a channel. So now you've received my resurrection life and, 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 and this forgiveness. I want you to share it. That's the whole purpose of the resurrection. Not a, a sterile, you know, aqueduct where the water comes in and doesn't pour out. It's, it's a flowing river. It comes in from the Lord and goes out as you share this wonderful truth. 
There's a lot of dead religions you can follow, or you can follow the risen Christ. That's what makes him absolutely unique and superior to everyone else. I tell my kids, you know, you'll have conversations, and they'll try to drag you down any number of rabbit trails, but I said, just bring it back to Jesus. Like, if people can just deal with Jesus, that other stuff will kind of work its way out. But let's say, look, look, whatever you want to say about this or that or every other thing, but let's just get back to Jesus. We got this risen Savior. What do you do with that? And notice what he says. The angels say, don't you remember what he said? The teachings of Christ bring life. And so my prayer for you is that you would be walking in the resurrection power today. That you would have that hope, that courage, that confidence, that peace, and that daily you could experience a continual progression and enjoyment of life and joy and peace that comes only because you are walking in the steps and following your risen Savior. That is resurrection life. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily occurrence in our lives as we follow the risen Christ. I hope you have that today. It doesn't mean there's not going to be dark moments in your life. It's not going to mean that the shadows and the clouds and the storms are going to come. That's, that's reality. But the, the good news is you've got someone ahead of you that's, that's taken it on and, and has gone through that. And you can just trust and, and cling on to him and let him drag you through it. He will. And it ultimately, the biggest thing that we fear in our world is death. And Christ said, I took care of that. That's why we don't respond to, to health situations like people that don't have faith because we have this, this secure confidence that death is not the final statement. It is just, it's just one marker on, on our list of life because the, the, the Heavenly Father holds our, our list. And he says, okay, de your death will happen here, but your life is going to keep going on. Why? Because you belong to me. Your death is a graduation into my eternal presence and into the glories of heaven. Welcome home is what death means for the Christian. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We don't moan and wail. In my tradition, the people would cry out, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And they thought if we say this 80 times in a funeral mass that maybe God will have mercy. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says when you come to Christ, God extends his mercy right there, boom, and it's done. And so when you die, it's like immediate translation into God's presence. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave, and we believe. Christ is risen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Team's going to come up to lead us in a closing song. Stand because our king deserves our respect and our honor. He died for you. He rose again for you. Would you walk in that newness of life today? Let's pray. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I invite you to receive him as your savior. He died and rose again so you can have life, move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we proclaim you as our king, risen king. Help us to walk in resurrection power today and every day. Fill us with hope, encouragement, peace, joy, and every blessing that your kingdom brings. And we look forward to that perfect and wonderful day when you'll return and we'll be complete in your presence. No more sin, no more sorrow. The glorious Christ will rule forever and ever. In his name we pray.
All right, amen, amen. And here, the words of the Lord. Now may the God of peace, who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Go with God's blessing.